man, I was standing over there, uh, and I just stopped singing for a second, and I listened to you all sing. And I do that almost every week, because it, it brings me great joy to hear the people of God worshiping God. Uh, it's such a wonderful thing, and uh, the band, our choir, Jeannie, uh, did a great job, Marsha and Mitzi, uh, Steve. I want to tell you, the choir, that's one of my favorite Ray, Bol- Ray Bolts, right? Ray Bolts songs. It's one of my favorite songs. I'm pretty sure Ray Bolts sang it. Uh, my brother sang that when I was growing up, uh, and there's a really good music video that goes to it, and uh, it's just, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. We need a generation, we need multiple generations to pledge allegiance to our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so uh, thank you all for that wonderful, wonderful worship. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to John uh, chapter 4. We'll continue our series, Come and See. Uh, and I, I, Again, we, we introduced this story last week where Jesus is meeting with a woman at the well And this story is amazing. Uh, We're going to look at the conversation today. It is the longest recorded conversation in the Gospels between Jesus and another person. Uh, And so it's absolutely amazing that we're going to look at what Jesus has to say and what he shares uh, to this uh, woman who is an outcast um, among the outcast. And uh, it's just a wonderful thing because Jesus is going to offer her Living water. Now, I had an opportunity in high school to work concession stands for our baseball and softball teams. Uh, the AD would find uh, seniors who were uh, responsible, trustworthy. <laughs> the big thing is who knew how to count change. Uh, and so, and we were cheap labor. I mean, we got paid, but not as much as you would probably have to pay somebody else. And so I remember the first day on the job, I walked in the concession stand. Here was this older gentleman who says, I'm going to show you how to make the most money possible. I said, well, all right. He goes, and it has to do with the popcorn. And so, again, I'm new to this world. And so I'm standing there and he goes, now think about this young man. He didn't know my name. He said, think about this young man. When somebody comes up, they're going to buy popcorn. They're going to buy a soda. He says, that's good. That's about six bucks. Back then it was not as expensive as it is today. He goes, but how do we maximize that profit? And he took a big, huge jar of salt. And he dumped it into the popcorn maker. And he says, that's how we're going to make a lot of money. I said, you're going to make people shrivel up like slugs. And he, I mean, I really said that. He looked at me like, what? He says, the salt gives it flavor, but they're going to come back to buy another drink (laughs) because they're going to be so thirsty. So when you go to the concession stand and buy popcorn at a game, just know it's salty, not because they want you to enjoy it. They want you to come back to buy another $6 bottle of water. Okay. (laughs) And it worked. I mean, this guy, these people would come up, they would buy a soda and a popcorn 15 minutes later. Hey, I'm really thirsty. I need a bottle of water. I'm like, that's the salt and the popcorn. Yep. (laughs) And and they kept coming back. See, that's, we're humans and we like to quench our thirst, but we get thirsty. Uh, This guy wanted people to keep coming back to the concession stand to get more water to spend more money because that one little can of soda just wasn't going to satisfy them when you dump a jar of salt in the popcorn machine. Now, as an athlete, believe it or not, at one time I was, 
What's, what's the drink? Gatorade. Gatorade, the thirst quencher, right? We, that's why the sermon's titled Thirst Quencher, because I was going back to my days with the Gatorade. <laughs> we drink the Gatorade. Now, I don't know if you know this about Gatorade. Now, there's some Gatorade that's really good, but the stuff that's got a lot of sugar in it, they do the same thing. Because have you ever noticed you can drink a bottle of Gatorade and you get thirstier after drinking it? Is that just me? And you have to drink a second bottle of Gatorade? Yeah, it's like you have to keep, it, it says it's going to quench my thirst, but it doesn't. It makes me thirsty. Maybe it's all that sugar and it tastes really good and I'm addicted to the flavors. I don't know. Except the green. <laughs> You're not drinking that more than once. All right. That, that'll quench your thirst forever. But you know, we, 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 we have these, we get thirsty. I, I had to, um, I went out to mow kind of behind my fence yesterday and I got on my riding lawnmower. And I was like, I'll knock this out in about a minute and a half with this thing. Battery's dead. I had to push mow it. First thing I did when I got inside was what? Grab a bottle of water to quench my thirst. Jesus is going to come to a well in our passage. And he's going to meet a woman who is coming to quench her physical need for thirst. And he's going to offer her something that will quench her spiritual need for thirst. So if you have your Bibles, we'll start in verse 6. I know we did that a little bit yesterday, uh, last week, but I think 6 is a good place to start today. What The, the setting is Jesus has been traveling uh, from the south to the north, from Judea to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. Remember, everyone everywhere needs Jesus. Uh, in the heat of the day, he's tired. He stops at the well, and verse 6 is where we pick up. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well, and it was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, or a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. We looked at that last week in verse 10. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, And who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket. I want you, she's a little snarky, get it? You don't even have a bucket. And the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well to drink from uh, himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. She says, I don't have a husband. I'm not married. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. No joke, by the way, right? I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you, the Jews, say that the place of worship is Jerusalem. 
And Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we uh, do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants or is seeking much or such people to worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I, what he really says is I am. But what the Bible says, I am the one speaking, or the one speaking to you am he. Long conversation filled with a huge spiritual truth. Only Jesus can quench your spiritual thirst. This conversation starts by Jesus simply asking for a drink of water at a well. Now wells, as we briefly talked about last week, it's a place where people gather to hang out. It's a place where relationships are built. Uh, we would kind of equate this today to modern day coffee shops where you go, you hang out, you, you drink some coffee, you drink, you drink some water and talk to people, build relationships. But another very significant thing about a well in this time is the well is where marriage proposals happen. It's a very significant place. Uh, think back to Abraham, right? Uh, or, or Abraham, or think all the way back to Moses, really. Moses is out in the wilderness, and he comes up to a well, and he finds his future wife at the well, along with her family. Abraham sent a servant for his son Isaac. The servant, the first place that servant goes is to the well, where all the women were going to be gathered. I mean, if you, if you want to pick out a wife for somebody in that day, you got to go to the well, because that's where the women are going to be. And they get there, and the, the servant finds Rebecca. And long story short, Rebecca becomes the wife of Jacob. They live kind of happily ever after. They, they get married, and they love each other. The well is a place for marriage proposals. And that is significant because Jesus is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride of Christ. This is literally an invitation to become, to join Jesus in a lasting, loving, eternal relationship. It's Jesus' way of really planting, although the church doesn't officially start to act, it's Jesus' way of planting a church in Samaria. Church is the bride of Christ. And we, we're told it's noon, which is significant because I, 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 have you noticed the weather's getting hot? I mean, have you noticed that? Like, it's May. It's not supposed to be 90. Of course, we've had some cooler days, but we had some 90-degree days a few weeks ago. It's May, almost June. And when we get to August, how many of you are going outside, unless you absolutely have to, at noon? Now, this is the Middle East. At noon. In the desert. It's hot. Nobody is going to the well at noon. Unless you absolutely have to, which Jesus had to. It's a divine appointment. Why would this woman go to the well to carry these big jars of water at noon? Now listen, it's because of what's revealed to us later about her past. You see, I told you last week the Samaritans are outcast people. She's an outcast among outcasts. Her own people don't even like her. Her own people, this is the best way I can tell you. 
if she would go in the morning or in the evening when everybody else would go, she's going to get those looks. You know the looks I'm talking about, right? The looks where people know your past and know you've done stuff you shouldn't do, and they look at you with those glaring, judgmental eyes. Or she's going to go when everybody else is there, and she's going to look over, and you know Sally Sue and Fanny, whatever, is going to be over there just whispering about her. There's a lesson there for the church, too, by the way. It really has nothing to do with the main point. But when people with a past come across our path, we shouldn't give them judgmental looks. We don't need to be going around whispering about people behind their back. You know, Jesus is the Son of God, and he didn't avoid this woman. He made it a point to go and talk to her. She couldn't go when all the other people went because of those looks, because of those whispers. She had to go when nobody else was there. And to her surprise, there's a man there. Not just any man, a Jewish man. And, and he talks to her. He doesn't talk about her. He talks to her. He says, can I have a drink? Now, I love what Jesus does. Jesus is like the master. He is going to take a real world situation... She needs water, she's thirsty, and he's going to turn it into a spiritual conversation. We've seen Jesus do this a little bit already in the Gospel of John. Remember back when those two disciples are following him, and Jesus turns around and says, what you looking for? Well, that's a physical reality of that moment, but Jesus has a spiritual meaning to it. Or Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus thinks, my mama don't want me to, she don't want to go through that again. I mean, how am I going to get in the womb and come back out? Nobody. Jesus has this way of taking the reality, the physical, the material, and turning it into a spiritual conversation. She's thirsty. He's thirsty. He says, give me a drink. And then this conversation ensues that's going to be about living water. Now, living water is very significant. Living water, is that phrase is saturated with Old Testament imagery. Jeremiah the prophet, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, listen to what the prophet says. For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me. This is the words of God coming through the prophet. The, they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. You see, Jeremiah is talking about the nation of Israel that has rebelled against God. They're either getting ready to, uh, half the nation is already in exile. The other half, Judah, is getting ready to be conquered if they have not already been conquered at this point by the Babylonian nation. Okay, they're getting ready to face the consequences of their disobedience to God. And here's what God says. They've committed a double evil. They have abandoned me. I am the fountain of living water. And here's what Jeremiah says. It continues. They dug cisterns for themselves. Crack cisterns, jars of water, uh, holes of water, that cannot hold water. The people of Israel replaced the living water with things that have cracks in them that can't hold water. The point of the whole sermon is Jesus quenches our spiritual thirst. When we try to make things to hold this water or to fill us up, they're going to have cracks in it. Listen. Your spouse is not going to quench your spiritual thirst. Your children will not quench your spiritual thirst. Religion, money, sex, drugs, popularity, achievement. Going and getting that big bag of Oreos and a glass of milk is not going to satisfy. I mean, it'll satisfy you for about 30 minutes. 
But it's not going to satisfy you long term. That money may be able to help you buy a lot of cool things, but you're not going to be eternally satisfied. You're always going to want more and more and more. Those things will not quench your dehydrated soul. Only Jesus can do that. Uh, this week I've spent a, a fair amount of time uh, enjoying playing Minecraft with my children. I didn't know you could like play on the same world together. Some of you don't know what Minecraft is. It's a game on the computer where you just dig and you mine. You mine things. You get gold. Don't worry about what it is. It's a game. It's the most popular computer game ever to be downloaded or sold. The guy who invented it, his name was Marcus Pearson. He was 36 years old. He sold Minecraft. 36 years old. I'm 38. At 36 year old, 36 year old Marcus Peterson sold Minecraft for 2.5 billion with a B dollars. A video game. It's a video. It's a fun video game. It's a video game. 2.5 billion dollars. Following the sale, he bought a 70 million dollar mansion. But that didn't satisfy him. On Twitter, he would write this. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. He continues, I could party with friends, hang out with famous people, and able to do whatever I wanted. He says, I have never felt more isolated. I've never felt more. $2.5 billion. And I have never felt more isolated. Tom Brady won multiple Super Bowls and in an interview with 60 Minutes says, is this it? Is this all there is to life? Um, he's now got six Super Bowl rings, right? Seven, six, seven. Is this all there is to life? They will not satisfy. They're like cisterns, cisterns from Jeremiah. All these things have cracks in them. And we try to fill them up. We try to fill our life with them. And all we end up with is a bunch of empty pots. There's a crack in the pot. All it's going to be is an empty pot or an empty heart. This woman that we see, she has tried to fill her life up with men. She has gone from one bad marriage to another bad marriage. And now she's gone from one bed to another bed. That's her sin. She is trying to fill her life up. She is trying to find satisfaction in her life with these men. Now, we shouldn't focus too much on that because we all have things we try to fill our life up with. I've mentioned several of them. But for her, that is how she found satisfaction. Over and over again, she became to get disappointed. Those men could not satisfy. Those men could not fill her. They couldn't give her what she wanted. Because there was a crack. In the jar. And this conversation goes on. She's thinking very physical. Very uh, material. And then she gets to the point where she recognizes that Jesus is a prophet. She's beginning to think that, well, this guy's spiritual. He seems to know what he's talking about. And she kind of transitions to this concept of worship. She says, sir, this is in verse 19. I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. A lot of people will tell you that she's deflecting. She doesn't want to be confronted with her sins. I think it's the opposite. I think Jesus has exposed her of her sin. Jesus has 
helped her to understand her need for the living water. By the way, the, the gospel starts with a recognition that we're sinful. Right? That's where it starts. She has to understand why she needs living water. She has to understand that she is a sinful person. She has, she has to understand uh, that, that it, the good news is only good because we are so bad. I mean, if you were perfect, would you ever seek Jesus? If you were perfect? and No. The reason we need Jesus is we're sinful. And so I think what's happening here is she's been uh, exposed to her sin in a very loving, nurturing, gentle way. You notice Jesus doesn't whip her. He doesn't wound her. He doesn't come out and throw her into the pits of hell. He lovingly talks to her and leads her to a place where she understands what's going on. And so in her mind, she's like, well, I understand because I've got the, the old, the first five books of the Old Testament. I understand that we need to worship, but my people say this is where we worship. The Jews look at us as outcasts. They say that's the only place to worship. Where, where am I to meet with God? Where am I to go to worship God? This isn't a deflection. This is an honest question. What am I to do in light of what you're telling me, in light of my sin? Where do I go to worship? Where do I go to fix it? Where can I find living water? Going back to the question she asked in verse 10. And Jesus gives this very profound statement. Jesus says, believe me, woman. Again, it's the same word he used when we talked to Mary. It's a, it's a word of endearment. He goes, an hour is coming. Now he's talking about the crucifixion. The hour is coming when the Messiah will be crucified. The hour is coming when sins will be forgiven. A, a time is coming when there will be a substitute hanging on the cross. A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither here or there. You Samaritans, you, you, you don't know. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation comes from the Jews. What, what he's really referring to is the Jews kind of have the whole Old Testament. They know the more about the Messiah than the Samaritans are coming. But verse 23, an hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Worship is not about a location. Listen, that, that's, that's important. Worship has nothing at all to do with a place. It's a person. For us today, I think we would ask the questions like, well, this denomination says we have to worship this way. That denomination says we have to worship this way. How do we worship? You know what Jesus would say? It's not about the denomination. It's about the person. Some would say, well... We can only truly worship if we have this kind of music or that kind of music. You know what Jesus would say? It's not about the style of music. It's about the person. A time is coming. Listen, there's going to be a time when this building crumbles. All buildings are going to crumble. But Jesus will still remain. The object of worship will still remain. The Samaritan temple, it's gone. The Jewish temple, it's gone. But yet we still worship because it's not about a place, it's not about a style, it's not about a time, it's about a person. And that person is Jesus. And, and what he says is the Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. This is a Trinitarian view of the worship. The Father is seeking worshipers and we worship uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, the Holy Spirit's also the spirit of truth. True worshipers are completely devoted to Jesus. Their worship is pure because the object of their worship is Jesus and nothing else. An hour is coming, verse 23, and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And yes, the Father wants, or some translations, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That verse, the Father is seeking. When Adam and Eve sinned, God did not turn his back on them. He went walking in the garden and sought them out. Today, this Samaritan woman went to a well with a past, a life that was unsatisfied by everything she had tried to put in it, filled with sin. And nobody would help her. Her own people wouldn't help her. Nobody would love on her. Nobody would talk to her. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, seeking worshipers, and he went to a Samaritan woman. Jesus seeks all of us to be true worshipers. That should be good news for all of us here. No matter what your past is, no matter what you've been feeling, no matter what bucket of water you're carrying around with a crack in it, Jesus can still satisfy you. God is seeking after you. In verse 25, the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, and he'll explain everything. In verse 26, I, the one speaking to you, am he. The word he is not in the Greek. Uh, It literally is rendered, I, the one speaking, am. Or what Jesus looks at her and says, I am. One of the most powerful phrases found in the Gospel of John. Because for her, she had, she may not have understood the prophet Jeremiah, but she'd have understood I am. She had the first five books. I am is the name that God gave Moses when he was trying to go, when he was called to go to the Israelites and lead them out of Egypt. God said, my name, you tell them I am sent you. And here at this well, Jesus says, I am here. For this woman, what Jesus is saying is, with all these bad marriages, with all these bad relationships, at this well, I'm proposing to you. I'm inviting you to come and see. I'm inviting you to come into a lasting relationship with the Savior. Now, we'll... Continue the story next week, but I can tell you this, if you read, if you read ahead, she accepted Jesus and she made the decision to follow. Because it says that she went back and told her town, I love this, the woman left her water jugs, this is in verse 28, the disciples come back, then the woman left her water jar. Now you think about that. John doesn't put anything in here unless it means something. She came to fill up her jars with water. And now she's going back to town. She left her water jar there. Her thirst had been quenched. And she goes to town and she says, she tells all the people, come see a man who told me everything. 
she decided to follow Jesus. She decided to fill her life up with Jesus. The greatest thirst quencher that has ever come into human history is Jesus Christ. Have you made that decision? Or are you still running around searching for everything else that's got a crack in it? If you want a filled up heart, if you want a filled up life, today's the day to decide to follow Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, this conversation is powerful. It is a conversation that reveals to us that you are seeking people to worship you. That you are pursuing a relationship with people who are sinful. What it teaches us is that there's nothing that we can do. We can't go too far. We can't outrun your love. So Father, today, whether it's someone in this room, someone who will watch this message online later, Father, I pray that it will be a message that transforms someone's heart. That today would be a day that at the well, someone's life would be filled with the overflowing water of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as a church, that we would be committed to following the example of Jesus and going to our own wells and telling people about him. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.